0: Listeners, you know, P.T. Barnum once allegedly said, there's a sucker born every minute. And such a sucker is today's guest, A.P. Strange, cause I had the brilliant idea of getting him on to discuss the 1932 Todd Browning movie, freaks. And just like the film itself and Todd Browning's career, we failed miserably. (laughs) And I hope this episode does not ruin my podcasting career as well. But yeah, guys, to be very honest, it is very, very difficult to talk about this movie and about the performers within the movie without stepping on a few toes because in today's times, we are all well aware of the ethical issues of the sideshow circuit back in the day. How they were exploiting people with disabilities and deformities. People who were born in a time where they were not understood nor embraced nor provided the proper support they needed. So most of them had to work very hard in their artistic performances to excel, to become these extraordinary individuals who can perform feats the average able-bodied person cannot. This episode is essentially me and AP Strange tap dancing around a minefield, trying to be as respectful as we can with our jokes and with the language we use, talking about wonderful people who are forced by society and the unfortunate circumstances of their own birth to become exceptionally peerless prodigies. And I truly thank you all for appreciating the honesty and openness myself and my guest are expressing, talking about all of these topics which are very worth discussing but are often ignored and unacknowledged, conveying that all of these wonderful people were actually one of us. And if that joke failed, I guess, continue listening to this steaming pile of, of goobble gobble. Come one, come all, ladies and gentlemen. For only a small portion of your daily time, you too can be exposed to this weird-ass discussion. But listener, beware, you are about to enter our cabinet of curiosity and an amalgamation of a (laughs) capri. And right here in the spotlight, I present to you the peerless prodigy himself, A.P. Strange. (laughs) Hey, thanks for having
1: (laughs) me, Vuk. That's an excellent introduction.
0: Yes, I did not even tell you that I had that in store for you. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> here, you, here you come, one come all.
0: Step right up, step right this way. Do you know why I called you a peerless prodigy? Uh, no, I think that's what P.T. Barnum used to refer to freaks because we all know that P.T. Barnum was a gentleman,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well I guess it's a way of saying they're one of a kind right
0: yes oh, man. So. I-, I thought like when you were logging in I thought about telling you one of us one of us and then I remember there's only two
1: of us Google gobble Google gobble <laughs> one of us
0: but at least all of the champagne are belong to us
1: yes mm. and the credibility too. <laughs>
0: yes oh man and for the listeners if you did not realize by now what we're going to be talking about i don't know if i like if it's even pc to say the word but the movie freaks let's say it like that the
1: 1932 todd browning film freaks yes Yes. Uh,
0: so can you tell the listeners how we got to the idea of doing an episode about the movie freaks
1: (laughs) well as i understood it we were going to talk about kaiju yes And we had a certain Japanese superhero that was supposed to join us. (laughs) but he had to cancel. So we thought, what's the next best thing? I know, the 1932 Todd Browning film, Freaks.
0: Yes, but also we wanted to talk about Robert Ripley. Yeah, that too. Yeah, from Ripley's Believe It or Not. And then when I went into it, I'm like, wow, I should research more into this because there's so much. So I thought, hey, let's just talk about the movie Freaks because it's only an hour movie. I watched the movie last night. I think you did as well.
1: Yep, I rewatched it.
0: Yes. And when I went into research about all of these performers, it's it's just like every thread you pull you also pull like 10 threads along with it any direction we go into we can go into millions of tangents with this
1: right yeah and I mean it is fascinating and um I think it's also a difficult difficult subject approach because I mean the classic narrative behind the film itself is that it was so shocking to the audiences that it effectively tanked Todd Browning's career as a filmmaker
0: yeah but I, I think like he was still in the movie making business until 39
1: he was but it was he didn't have the same kind of clout I mean prior to that it was easy for him to just pitch an idea and he he didn't have to fight for it too hard they would just let him do it you know
0: oh so he lost his credibility
1: yeah well he <laughs> lost good standing because they lost a ton of money not being able to distribute this movie you know
0: well perfect guy to talk about then so I know that you're a big uh, fan of uh, his earlier work as well so from what I saw he uh, spent a hefty amount of years in the circus business so can you maybe tell us something about that
1: yeah yeah. I mean, that's kind of how he came up. And that's, it's a fascinating time for film when you think about it, because still a fairly new medium, right? I mean, you had very short films in the early part of the 20th century. And then moving forward, you had the silent era. Mm-hmm. But concurrently, you also still had like live performance cabaret uh, burlesque carnivals, uh, circuses, and vaudeville all being huge moneymakers in a huge part of the entertainment world. So uh, like a great big mix of things going on where um, there was a lot of overlap from one thing to the next. So Browning kind of came out of the more carnivalesque atmosphere, and you see it a lot in a lot of his films and his earlier works as well. The Silent Era, he worked with Lon Chaney quite a bit, and I think, I think Freaks was supposed to, th- there was an original idea to do it as a Lon Chaney movie. But yes. that didn't end up working out. Yeah, Lon Chaney's in a few circus ones, like Laugh, Clown, Laugh is is a really notable one, and uh, The Unknown, and uh, those those are both fantastic silent movies. Uh, one of which has. Uh, Lon Chaney as the clown (laughs) and he's very eerie looking as a clown Um, (laughs) and the unknown is just that's a real mind bender of a movie that I recommend anybody go look up he plays Alonzo the armless wonder who's a knife thrower in a circus
0: without arms
1: Yeah, but there's a twist to that. That movie is oh. just twists upon twists. I might as well just tell you what it is because okay. I know for well, a fact. I mean,
0: it's a hundred year old movie, man.
1: <laughs> Spoiler alert for this movie—that's a hundred years old. No, because I've, you know, I I love this movie, and I have told people to go seek it out, and it's not easy to find, so people don't. So I might as well just tell you what happens in it. <laughs> So Lon Chaney is Alonzo, the armless wonder, and he's a knife thrower in the circus, and he's in love with the woman that he throws knives at. Uh, she's just tied to a wheel, and he he wings knives at her with his toes. So she's she feels comfortable with him and only him in the circus because for some reason she has an aversion to men's hands and arms. She just like is repulsed by arms. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: so <laughs> because that's a total normal trauma for people. Okay, to have. I,
0: I did a previous roundtable about freddy krueger and the elm street series and we did talk about his glove hand being kind of an extension of the hand of an abuser because uh, what do you know molesters use as a weapon they use their hands so you know there's that undertone maybe
1: huh, yeah maybe i mean it could have been something like that um to me it, the way it's presented in a silent movie just seems a bit absurd because yeah it's just all too convenient that she's... <laughs> but the trouble is that Lon Chaney's character, Alonzo, actually does have arms. He's just pretending to be armless because he's a fugitive on the run. And what better way to do that than pretend to be an armless man? So uh, he spends a good deal of the movie with his arms tied behind his back, hidden under his shirt, pretending to be an armless man. And on uh, one of his arms, he actually has a super, superfluous thumb, an extra thumb.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: (laughs) So at some point he murders a man. I don't exactly remember why, but he's witnessed doing it. And it might've been the girl that witnesses him doing it. It, She doesn't, nobody sees his face. They just happen to notice that whoever strangled this guy had two thumbs on one of his hands. And it's obviously not the armless guy. (laughs) It can't be the armless guy, but uh, so he's pretty safe, except then he pretty much is courting this woman to the point where he's thinking about proposing to her and he's, he's right there, but he realizes if he's going to marry her, he's, he has to actually lose his arms. So he takes off and goes and sees a surgeon somewhere in the middle of Europe who performs a surgery to remove his arms and when he comes back he finds out that the woman has recovered from her trauma or whatever it was and had gotten over the fact that she hates arms and fallen in love with the strong man
0: oh wow okay dude did you ever watch Tales from the Crypt yeah do you remember the episode with the old guy who's trying to court a young lady and then goes to a Dr. Frankenstein like guy to give him uh, i was it a young guy's body or something I don't know
1: uh, I think so I think there's been a couple variations on that story yeah
0: I'm thinking and And
1: remember X-Files The
0: Amazing Malini, where the magician of the episode was uh, pretending to be a legless guy in a wheelchair? yep yep so so it's like this movie this very obscure movie kind of you know inspired all of these things later on in media
1: yeah probably and I mean this the movie itself was probably based on a short story from some pulp (laughs) but um, (laughs) I mean funny you mention it too because not only is Lon Chaney in the movie tying his arms behind his back to appear armless for the scenes where he has to be using his feet to do things that his hands would otherwise do since Lon Chaney couldn't actually do that they had to rig up special chairs where somebody else who possessed that ability would be like hidden inside of it. So, the scenes where he's using his feet to do stuff, that's somebody else's feet. <laughs> It's just weird movie magic going
0: I mean, it's like the sawing a man in half magic trick, only done for for a visual effect in a movie. Right.
1: The Johnny Eck version.
0: Yes, we'll we'll get into that.
1: We'll get into it, yeah.
0: Also, Loncini appeared to have loved deforming himself for movie roles. We all know when he portrayed the Phantom of the Opera, he had to put hooks in his nose.
1: Well, right. That's why they called him the Man of a Thousand Faces. I mean, diving into some of the problematic aspects now, he also also played asian characters yeah there were stories about how he'd get on a bus and do his makeup while on the bus and like get off the bus appearing like an old chinese man you know Um, Mm, a master of disguise (laughs) right as was the style at the time you had your evil asian villain characters
0: Yeah, but but who's the racist there? Is it he for, you know, going yellow face? Or are we for not being able to realize what is a fake Asian
1: person? I mean, it could be both. They could have just like <laughs> hired actual Asian actors for movies. Exactly. And may- maybe made the Asian characters not evil sometimes. <laughs> That was that was that was on the table. Those are possibilities, but yes. but I mean, yeah, I mean, he was taking a job, basically, right? And it's not we're talking about an era where people were still doing blackface unapologetically too. So,
0: well, well I, I was gonna say, like, unfortunately, it took uh, quite a while for Hollywood to learn its lesson because we even saw it with Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom that. Same oh, for bullshit.
1: sure. Yeah, it basically still happens, and when you think about it, like in the '20s, it's like Al Jolson was the biggest uh, singer in the world, mm-hmm. and I mean, he was widely known for blackface.
0: Yeah. I I wanted to say, so uh, Phantom of the Opera, I know it's a Universal monster movie, one of the earliest. Was it also a silent one? Yes. What I remember. Okay. And uh, this preceded Dracula. Dracula was in 31, I believe. And I'm mentioning Dracula because that's the most well-known Todd Browning movie. So was Todd Browning, you know, working for Universal because of his ties to Lon Chaney?
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, I I think some of those earlier silent ones are universal. I'm not exactly sure. I think Universal was established as a studio in the early 30s or the late 20s. I'm not really sure, but there. I think it was a different studio that kind of evolved out of it, you know?
0: Yeah, I know T- Todd Browning was the director for MGM, but they yes. just borrowed him uh, for Dracula to Universal.
1: Okay, that sounds right. Because he did attempt a Dracula, or at least a vampire movie prior to Dracula, that had Lon Chaney, and that's the great lost film, London After Midnight. Have you heard of that one?
0: Yeah, I heard that that it's lost
1: (laughs) yeah i mean it's one of the most sought after lost films you can find recreations of it with the footage that exists and some of the publicity stills put in and they still have like a script for it but the the movie itself is gone because a lot of all those movies back then were filmed on a type of film that wasn't very stable and prone to spontaneous combustion
0: yeah can you imagine that happening today
1: Celluloid, (laughs) I think the celluloid. Yes. Yes.
0: But can you imagine in today's world, a whole movie getting lost and and like totally lost, not behind, you know, a paywall or, or a legal wall or something like that.
1: Well, it still happened in other ways later. I mean, um, and that's, that's actually a paranormal thing too. Like the great footage we have or the evidence that we have for a lot of things, the originals often are gone. Like nobody knows where the Patterson Gimlin film is. We just have copies of it.
0: Yes. But, but also Ray Santilli always, said oh there was an original alien autopsy and the one that i made is just a recreation of that sure
1: there's layers to this right we see the repeating themes layered upon themselves which uh, sometimes is just dubious and other times seems kind of mysterious yes but that was happening up into the 60s and 70s like doctor who is another good example where the bbc was trying to save materials by taping over yeah (laughs) old tape so there's like a a good number of episodes of Doctor Who that are gone forever.
0: Yeah, and this is before the home media age, so they really did not know how, you know, they should preserve this stuff to cash in.
1: Uh. Well, yeah, because that didn't exist back then. There wasn't yeah. home video back then, you know. I, th- I think these were
0: the black and white ones from the 60s. Yes. Okay, well, we're talking about every single movie and TV show out there except the movie we sat down to talk about.
1: Well, we had to give a little background on Browning anyway, so. Yes.
0: Uh, yeah. And yeah, I read up on browning he started in the circus business so it was just a matter of time until he went on to direct his own movie about the you know circus uh, carnival shenanigans and we got freaks in 1932 which bombed
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it was banned in the UK for like thirty years.
0: Yeah, I think in the sixties it, it was put out with an X rating. Yeah. Now, why? Why do you think? It, I mean, why do you think in the UK in the sixties it would be put out with an X rating?
1: Well, the six. Uh, I, th- I think England had <laughs> they they always had kind of a a very strict idea of what was acceptable and what was grotesque in their media.
0: I mean, obviously, the video nasties, even in the eighties.
1: Right. Yeah. Up into the 80s, you have the video nasties. And like, there's, you watch a lot of the old Hammer films in the 70s and stuff, and the blood is so fake looking because they had to make it that way in order to get it by sensors and stuff like that. So, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's kind of mystifying to me because I think the prevailing logic is that people thought it was exploitative of the freaks themselves.
0: And yet, this is the least exploitative movie about sideshow freaks ever made. Like, even the derivative materials that came after this like let's say American Horror Story the, the freak show season that's much more exploitative than this because in this movie uh, Todd really took the effort to portray all of these performers doing just mundane life stuff portraying them as normal people
1: yeah I mean a good deal of the movie is that just them hanging out doing normal stuff and being treated as very human characters with very normal lives you know love being in love getting married even just just sitting around talking about their workday essentially you know yes having fun with each other just kind of gossiping about each other like that they're just it's just a a little little microcosm of of society just with the solidarity that they all have between each other
0: yeah i i see it just like a normal noir movie you know even the plot is very noir but just if you exchange the what we would perceive as normal beautiful actors with other types of performers but the movie and the story are you know exactly the same with any noir movie
1: right and there's there's no doubt about who the bad guys are in the movie, right? Like, <laughs> like Cleo and Hercules in the movie, the woman and the strong man there are clearly, very clearly painted as bad people. You know, there's no way you could be watching this movie and be sympathetic to them, right?
0: <laughs> I mean, even even the naming Cleopatra, you know, the epitome of beauty and femininity and Hercules, the epitome of able-bodiedness.
1: Yeah. And like superhumanity, right? Mm. Um, uh, he's, he's a demigod. And uh,
0: because this uh, came out after the you know Great Depression, I saw on the internet a lot of critics kind of interpret this movie as the lower class overcoming the higher class.
1: Yeah, I mean, sure, you can make an argument for that, but I think it's really much more literal than that. And I think the reason that it found such a home within like the '60s when people started to rediscover it, and then later in the new wave era with um, bands like uh, the Ramones making up songs cut like pinhead and directly referencing the movie <laughs> mm-hmm. because everybody that found themselves any kind of cultural outsider felt that solidarity that the sideshow performers had with each other and that was the attractive thing to it right I mean in the 60s the counterculture people referred to themselves as freaks
0: yes uh, exactly and I do see this as a very counterculture film e- even back in the 30s when it came out
1: yeah yeah and I think that's what made people uncomfortable and they needed to i don't know mask their their own uncomfortability with maybe the mirror that was being held up because yeah. you know for for your average person watching the movie that might have been offended by it say or uh, one of the one of the quotes that I saw from test audiences was that it was too grotesque you know and I'm like so I mean is it just hard for you to see people that have you know, medical abnormalities really I mean what is it that's making people uncomfortable
0: yeah but the thing is those same people would then go to the Coney Island circus and watch these freak shows live
1: exactly they didn't want to endorse it when it's a film and they would hide their uncomfortability by saying that oh they're exploiting these poor people you know
0: yeah but but within the context of the freak show that's totally acceptable to them because of the othering of the performers while in this movie this beautiful movie that portrays these people with disabilities and deformities as normal people doing normal people things that's totally unacceptable how dare they portray this person doing the same things that i do
1: yeah yeah i mean a, a sympathetic And just intimate portrayal of people that don't look like you or I just Mm -hmm. living normal lives in as much as they can, you know? Why is that so offensive?
0: Maybe even more normal than the audience is. (laughs) Ooh. (laughs)
1: Well, certainly more moral, I think. They have a moral code, you know. And, you know, it's kind of like the scene where the guy is very upset because he saw them all playing by the pond, and he's trying to get the other man to shoo them away. Mm -hmm. And the woman that's taking care of them refers to them as children. You know, they're just pure and innocent. And she's got, like, the what at the time were called pinheads, which, you know, that's not (laughs) culturally appropriate anymore either. The microcephalics. um, Yeah, they're, they're hugging her, and she's referring to them as children children. And I mean, for all intents and purposes, they intellectually stunted because of the limitations of of their skull and brain size, referring to them as children and pure and innocent, you know? I mean, Schlitzie,
0: from what I read, had the mental capabilities of a three-year-old. Yes. But like, if you read his biography and everything that happened in his life, like, it's such a wonderful thing. I think there's a graphic novel about his life that was recently released. Everybody who came into contact with him loved him and said he was a very joyful a happy person and loved to be the center of attention and loved performing. Briefly, he was hospitalized because he was uh, being shuffled around uh, various different, you know... Uh,
1: yeah, a different circus tents and... So yes, sure
0: yes. When one of his guardians, I think, passed away, then uh, the guardianship went to his daughter who was not in the circuit business, and she just put him, you know, to be cared for in a hospital. Yeah. And uh, lo and behold, uh, some other person who was working in the circuit circuit was also working one summer in that hospital uh, volunteering and met schlitzzi there and you know got him back to the circuit where he remained for the rest of his life Yeah, uh, allegedly he he was like very depressed during that period when he was not uh, performing
1: yeah and I mean sure I mean they probably just had him in a hospital and gave him little like coloring books and toys to play with and he's yeah is it wasting away and I mean that was the idea people don't even aren't even really sure who his parents were yeah no nobody knows even where he was born like the idea was he would be shuffled off to a hospital to spend yeah. his life there you know and uh instead he traveled the world Was starred in a movie, you know, made lots of friends and had communities and stuff like that. Mm
0: -hmm. And along the way, they were—I mean—they were exploiting him, like they were dressing him up in these these fur costumes and marketing him as a missing link or uh, one of the lost tribes of the Aztecs or stuff like that.
1: Presenting him as as a woman,
0: yes, but but but, uh, he was wearing a dress his most life uh, most of his life because I think somewhere it says he needed to wear a diaper due to his disability, so it was more convenient to wear a dress
1: that makes sense mm. yeah i mean this is where we get into like really dicey territory because i mean maybe for the where you talk about exploitation and surely that is the case with Schlitzie and a lot of these other people but also like what were they going to do otherwise right they were making a living of sorts they had community of sorts i mean that that's it's such a mix in each individual case with with all the sideshow performers that they had it, it seems like like a propounded fate. You know, it's it's a exaggerated version of the fate that a lot of people have to face in life. It's hard, it's hard to talk about for sure, but you don't want to be like, you know, what exploitation was okay and under these circumstances. Uh,
0: exploitation is never okay.
1: That's not something we're trying to say. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to make it sound that way. I don't want to be apologetic for the people that were doing the exploiting, right? I mean, like
0: before sitting down to record with you, I was really thinking, like, do I? I know the PC terminology here and what are we even going to talk about? Because
1: Yeah, me too. I'm like, you know what? I'm terrified I'm going to say the wrong thing or just, you know, not because I'm afraid the woke police are going to come after, because I'm trying to be respectful, you know, and I do have a great respect for all of these people. What they went through is equal parts amazing and impressive and horrifying.
0: Mm, Yes. And I noticed watching the movie, a lot of them gave very great performances. Yeah. And it conveys this idea like you don't really need Hollywood actors because you can get these people on who can also give a powerful performance with all of their disabilities and deformities. But also it got me pondering about the Hollywood people are not performing to survive. You know, they're not performing to have bread to eat and survive until tomorrow, though most actors would say that they are. But OK, but these performers from the sideshow were Forced into performing their whole life in order to survive because there was nothing else for them back in those days.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Which you know, that's the, that's where these things become very difficult to talk about because I mean, sideshows became passe at some point. They became frowned upon, mm-hmm. um, and the prevailing idea is that this is exploitative exploitative of people with disabilities, and you shouldn't do it. Which put a lot of these uh, a lot of these performers out of work.
0: Yes, yes, and I I remember like in the nineties there was a. a revitalization of the freak show but by then you had people who made themselves freaks you know like eric Sprague, the the lizard man stuff like that they were not born freaks yeah so it was much less exploitative
1: There's self-made freaks
0: yes and this goes into the x-files episode humbug because i think it's mentioned there like yeah. there's the born freaks and then there's the self-made freaks
1: yeah and i mean the point that's being made at the end of that and the guy's name escapes me now his character was called dr blockhead but mm-hmm he's a real circus performer that's actually fairly active on Twitter. <laughs> I can't remember his real name though. He, he goes into this whole speech, which struck me quite a lot. Uh, you know, it, it kind of really resonated with me when I was younger and watched it for the first time, uh, where, the, where he's talking about how medical advances and gene sequencing and all the stuff we're going to be able to come up with to help prevent medical abnormalities from happening prenatally and genetically, heading it off at the pass, is going to lead to a future where there aren't no natural freaks anymore
0: and everybody will look like Mulder.
1: <laughs> everybody's gonna look like Mulder, and then you just see Mulder kind of like posed with his foot up on <laughs> stuff, <laughs> and he goes uh everybody's gonna look like him you know he's like that's why it's up to uh self-made freaks to remind us and skelly's just like remind us of what and he's like i don't know like you know there's more to all this stuff you know
0: that sounds very shamanistic
1: yeah and i mean the guy was presenting himself as a shaman too right yes he was, he was uh it was all bullshit but he was talking about about how he was a fakir and a swami and stuff like that. (laughs) I don't know. I think if I were to become a sideshow performer, that's probably what I would do is like tap nails into my nasal cavity and uh, hang myself on hooks and things like that.
0: Yeah, but uh, that goes into like, there are always ecological niches, you know, in the natural world and even in human society, social niches, and they need to be filled these nooks and crannies. So Mm -hmm. if you don't have people who are naturally born to fill those nooks and crannies, other people will... Will have to adapt due to societal pressures to go into those niches. Right. So, if we don't have freak shows like back in the day, which exploited heavily people who were born with deformities, you still have this ecological niche or the societal need that needs to be fulfilled, and it will be fulfilled by the self made freaks who find themselves pushed into that.
1: Yep, absolutely. This is a very fucked up conversation. It is. It's pretty fucking (laughs) weird, right? (laughs) <laughs> I, I i like i don't know i think you and i both are very drawn to this stuff but we're both also empathetic people yes. so it, it's stuff it, it's hard to recon- reconcile
0: oh yeah i, I want to bring up a cool example from the movie so i told you yesterday while watching the movie when josephine uh, joseph made the appearance as the half woman half man right and this is something we saw back in the day uh in these freak shows like a performer who is dressed essentially as Two-Face from Batman comics. Yeah,
1: straight down the middle. One straight side. down the middle,
0: yeah. half-woman, half-man. But Josephine Joseph seemed to have been an actual trans woman, biologically male, but a few years after the Freaks movie was filmed, she went through a sex reassignment surgery back in the 30s, and I think that's totally rad, like back in the 30s that that could be done. Yep. But also it brings to question just how back then somebody who is a trans person is forced into to this circuit, this very exploitative circuit, and also use, forced to use it as a ruse to explain why they are trans, you know, in a yeah. world that does not accept them for who
1: they are. Yeah, it would have been, I'm venturing to guess, it would have been very difficult to pull off in any other venue.
0: Yeah, and uh, Josephine Joseph uh, had a husband who, uh, you know, organized this whole performance act of hers as half-woman, half-man in the, you know, circus circuit. And in the UK, there was some kind of lawsuit against her as false advertising and the court was trying to get her to show her- her x-rays to prove that she's a hermaphrodite or whatever
1: no they're trying to court order a medical examination too i think yes
0: and that that's totally fucked up and then they had to plead guilty and say that they're gonna get out of the country so i think that's how they got into the u.s yeah on on one hand it's empowering you know that the whole uh, sideshow business allowed josephine to be who she was but on the other hand it also exploited her
1: yeah and i mean it's also shown in the movie too right where the strong man and uh, the other guy that was kind of a clown that was just dressing as a woman. I forget his name, but he was he was engaged to one of the conjoined twins. Mm-hmm. The guy with the stutter. Yes. They're both standing there kind of joking around and making fun of her after she... And it just kind of goes to show you, like, even in the circus, and this is shown again and again, the other circus performers are just shitting all over the freaks, you know? Mm. So for their for the sideshow, for them, they, they, they only had each other.
0: And now that you've uh, mentioned the conjoined twins, uh, Daisy and Violet Hilton. Like it would have been easy for the producers of the movie to just, you know, find two actresses and have them portray conjoined twins because uh, Daisy and Violet were conjoined in the hip. Mm-hmm. And yet they got Daisy and Violet who were actual conjoined twins and actual, you know, actresses and singers and performers. They went on to uh, I think act in various different movies after Freaks as well. But yeah. I like the dynamic in the movie because one of them has a husband and you know there's constant this argument with the husband and I don't know if it's Daisy or Violet, but let's say Daisy says, oh, Violet needs to go and he's like, no, 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 she's staying here, but she cannot stay here because I need to go. And then there's this, uh, with the other sister, this love interest, which I thought is a very interesting dynamic back in the 30s, portraying what is essentially uh, not a polygamous relationship, but you know, uh, two conjoined women having their own separate sexualities.
1: Mm -hmm. And I mean, that was the case with Chen and Aang, the original Siamese twins, which is where we get that term from. Mm-hmm. They were both married and both of them had like a lot of kids.
0: Okay, you know who else had a lot of kids? Prince Randian, the living torso. <laughs> from the movie. Yes, he had five kids.
1: Okay, yeah, that's a lot. But I think Chang and Aang, I think between the two of them, they had something like 17 kids.
0: Yes, but but I mean, the living torso guy, I think he's the most memorable from the movie because anybody who watched the movie will remember the scene where he's using his mouth to uh, roll up a cigarette and uh, light a match and then light the cigarette.
1: Yes. Yeah, I mean, rolling a cigarette with just your lips is pretty impressive because a lot of people can't even do that with two hands. Mm-hmm. you know, so
0: and uh, this was his normal act uh, usually in his stage performances and i think it's very uh, very powerful what todd browning did to film these characteristic acts of these performers solidify them in you know documented film record because usually somebody would have to go to one of these shows to see prince randy and do this but if it's on film it can be preserved forever and it can be shown to audiences all around the world who cannot go i don't know to coney island to watch him
1: yeah sorry i got just. To- Distracted here because I wanted to look up uh, how many kids Chang and Ng actually had, and it was 21. <laughs> This reminds me now of something when
0: I was doing another podcast on *Bright of Frankenstein, and then, you know, The Blind Old Man.
1: One of my favorite movies. Yes. Yeah.
0: And the reason he was playing a violin in that movie is because this was one of the earliest movies with a sound and with a score, you know, with music. Right. And why, why they put the scene in the movie is because not a lot of people can go watch somebody play a violin, so at least they can go watch a movie, see somebody play a violin there. And I yeah. see all of, all of these scenes and freaks where these performers are you know performing their characteristic act as kind of that like why don't we film what they're doing and expose that to a mass audience
1: Yep. And I mean, the freaks in the movie are so full of life and everywhere that they are, there's music and singing and, and laughter, right? There's mm-hmm. one of the characters just has a harmonica and it's always playing it. You know, I mean, you think about a time where you couldn't just call up music whenever you want from a device that's in your pocket. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about an era where somebody, somebody being able to perform music in front of you is a very valuable thing, you know? But yeah, I mean, it's important to recognize that a lot of the people involved had, had their own, Uh, talents the human caterpillar guy there though i guess he kept all of his effects in a box like a wooden box with a handle that he made himself
0: yes and even he put a lock on the box himself
1: right (laughs) it's like oh man he only has one line in the whole movie and i can't understand what he said
0: yes but uh his scenes are very memorable especially the last scene with him where he has a knife (laughs) in
1: he's got a knife in his teeth yeah
0: (laughs) now let's talk about that so this movie was originally a 90 minute feature and when it was screened originally people were so you know uh, devastated by the movie that the producers need to needed to cut out like 30 minutes of it and that has been totally lost right but uh apparently the ending of the movie had the uh, freaks castrate hercules oof did you know that
1: i didn't know that <laughs> they apparently well, this ca- was pre-code i think yeah
0: they apparently castrated him and then there was a scene at the end where he was a castrato uh, singing in an opera <laughs> oh man <laughs> yeah
1: that's horrifying and probably would have been pretty great actually <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, wow. Um, it was pr- probably important to make a little digression here for people that don't know, but the Hayes Code was a big thing with the movies. You know about that.
0: Can you maybe elaborate on that? Because I'm not too aware of it.
1: So in the early days of cinema, it was pretty much anything goes. You could get away with a hell of a lot in movies. And when the Hayes Code came in, it was kind of a moralizing, a uh, sensor-driven thing that happened kind of in the early 30s where they started putting strictures on what people could do in movies. It had to do with language with sex with violence and it tamed cinema quite a lot so people tend to think of media and what was what was acceptable in media broadly and i'm talking not just about the movies but with like comics and pulp stories and uh novels i am
0: aware of the uh, comics code authority and i think the 50s
1: yep that was very similar
0: it was an answer to horror comics
1: Yep and it was very similar in in what it the effect that it had and looking back on it if you're if you're only looking back you know a couple decades what the picture that you have is that things got progressively more open to a lot of a, a lot more sex violence vulgarity whatever.
0: Yes, but only the producers of the movies needed to find more creative ways to do it.
1: Yeah, they had to veil it behind other things.
0: Th- think of the Hitchcock scene with the train going through the tunnel.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or like um, the film noir Humphrey Bogart movies where uh, there's something to be said about like Peter Laurie and the way he rubs the cane against his lip <laughs> when he's talking, you know, a whole lot of subtext going on and and just very very subtle references to things that they wouldn't have otherwise got away with but um yeah so i mean it 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 presents this mythology this mythologized version of the history of media as being a progression from squeaky cleanness and naive storytelling to where we are now with a more holistic and broad ability to to portray whatever we want in media right Mm -hmm. but that 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 certainly wasn't the case (laughs) like pre-code movies could be pretty wild
0: oh i mean birth of a nation
1: oh right but i mean also just just like in horror and mm-hmm. uh that, like i mean i'm sure that when todd browning was making a movie and he was talking about castrating a guy <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, well, sure, why not? Who's going to stop us from doing that? <laughs> Have you ever seen the movie The Black Cat with um, Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi?
0: I'm I'm aware of it, but I did not. But I I love just when both of them appeared in movies because I know that they hated each other, <laughs> or rather, uh, Bela Lugosi. Well, see, I think
1: that's I, I think that's been exaggerated as well.
0: I know that Bela Lugosi was cast as the original Frankenstein's monster and did such a poor job of it.
1: No, I don't. I don't think that's right i think he was offered the role and didn't and kind of passed on it or something like that he ended up playing frankenstein's monster in the sequels yes and um he did a bad job but that wasn't his fault if you know you're frankenstein what happened at the end of son of frankenstein is igor's brain got put into the monster's body but the body kind of rejected the brain and made him blind so at the end igor's brain is in the monster's body but he can't see so it's not really like all that good it's like a twist ending uh, but then in ghost of in ghost of Frankenstein where Lugosi's playing the monster instead of Igor because he played Igor before. When Lugosi's playing the monster, he was told to play it as though he's blind the whole movie. That's why his eyes are closed and he puts his hands out in front of him everywhere he goes. Mm -hmm. And that's become like the uh, archetype of uh, how Frankenstein is presented like in cartoons or character or imitation is always with the hands out in front. And that was Lugosi's interpretation of it in that movie because he was told the character was blind. But they ended up rewriting the script so that wasn't the case. So he just looks foolish in all these scenes, <laughs> even though that's what he was directed to do.
0: Is it true that they needed to cut all of his talking scenes as the monster because of his accent?
1: Uh, that might be true. I mean, I think that movie itself was just a mangled mess in a lot of ways, you know? I mean,
0: just like the monster of Frankenstein.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was all cut up and changed. I think there may have been producers fighting with each other or some, or maybe the director changed halfway through. I'm not really sure. Because, I mean, there was a lot of infighting going on in that scene and a lot of the people that were making those old universal movies i mean there was a lot of kind of countercultural stuff going on there too you know
0: man i i just love how we just go on uh talking about other movies because we don't want to acknowledge the we, main we movie started
1: in horror universal <laughs> movies man well yeah i mean it's much easier to talk about a movie monster right yes yes Cause what we're really talking about is the monstrosity and humanity that makes us compelled to exploit one another mm, exactly maybe right mm-hmm <laughs> Let's Am I just dodging my responsibility here? <laughs> I don't know. Let's go
0: to a very uh, jolly happy topic, the half-boy, Johnny Eck.
1: Johnny Eck, yeah. So, well, when you're talking about scenes that were cut, Johnny Eck was supposed to have a much bigger part in the movie, uh, and a lot of the scenes that got cut were the ones where he had lines.
0: That's very fucked up, because I remember him most fondly from the movie. There's just something about him, some kind of charisma.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, he's kind of a dapper guy. He's always wearing like the tuxedo jacket.
0: And for the listeners, if you did not watch Freaks, uh, Johnny Eck is a person who was born n- not without legs, but his legs and feet are very very, very tiny, and he had to hide them under his clothes. So he uh, was performing always as the half boy, like just a torso without legs. And from a very early age, like he had a twin brother who had legs. And before his twin brother started walking, uh, Johnny already
1: learned to walk on his hands. Yeah, I mean, he was basically running circles around him just on his hands. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I was telling you yesterday when watching the movie, like all of these scenes with Johnny where he's walking on his hands seem to me like practically effects like there's something very unreal about the way he walks in the movie right
1: and I mean there is an uncanniness to because I mean I think when we try to empathize with people that were born with without usable legs and don't seem to have any at all what we think is like how would you be able to do that because we're imagining suddenly losing the lower half of our body right and then trying to trying to make up for it but that's all he's ever known He's always been
0: that way exactly
1: and as a child when he'd get made fun of he'd say like what what I want with legs like I get a, get around just fine like this you know
0: yeah he said like I need to iron a pair of pants yeah I would to have to that. iron my pants <laughs> if
1: uh, if I had legs
0: <laughs> he had an incredible sense of humor so uh he was also an illusionist and magician and uh, worked in magician acts uh, can hmm, you tell us here yeah. yes can you tell us about the famous trick that he did. Yeah,
1: it's a pretty good one. I uh, teamed up with a magician that did the sawing a man in half trick. And since Johnny and his brother Robert were twins, they actually weren't identical twins, but they looked similar enough that um, Robert, who did, had his legs, an average-sized person, would heckle the magician from the audience and that would be the cue to bring him up on stage and put him in the box to saw him in half. Mm-hmm. The illusion worked because when he went into the box, he would just go right out the other side and Johnny would pop up so that you'd see Johnny Johnny's head instead of Robert's. But since they look so similar, the audience was none the wiser and thought it was the same man. Yes. And meanwhile, you had a dwarf that was already hidden in the box operating the legs sticking out the other side. And when the magician sought him in half, the lower half of the box would fall to the ground and the legs would start running off. And then Johnny would pop up out of the top half and chase after it yelling, give me back my legs.
0: Yes. And chasing <laughs> after his legs uh, while running on his hands. And this would yes. freak the audience out. I read like the women were just so shocked that they stayed in their seats, but the men were the ones They were, the exa- were like scrambling
1: over <laughs> the women to get out of there. <laughs> like run away. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a hell of an act. That's yes. one hell of an act.
0: <laughs> and, and it's something that nobody else could pull off but, but him or somebody else who does not have legs. So
1: Well, it was the perfect team, too, Johnny yes. and Robert, because they yes. look so similar. And they always worked as a team, too, because Robert was with him all the way through all of his kind of major he wasn't getting taken advantage of in the in the shows and lived with him until until he died, I think.
0: And can you tell us something about his later life? Because I saw you've been digging into his life for the past few days.
1: Yeah, I mean, I knew a bit about him already. The podcast The Q Files actually has an episode where they talk a bit about it, and one of the hosts of that show, Laurie, had actually met him at one point. But yeah, I mean, he was, uh, it should be said that he was pretty close with Todd Browning during the filming of the movie, and Browning would like for Johnny Eck to sit next to him at the director's chair whenever possible and Johnny wasn't necessarily getting along with the rest of the freaks who he described as like being a little bit um, letting it go to their heads that they were in a Hollywood movie you know Uh (laughs) But uh, later on, he was kind of a victim of sideshows being phased out in a way because he was no longer able to work as a sideshow act. That's where his background in magic came in handy. He operated puppet theaters doing Punch punch and Judy shows and him and his brother started a penny arcade that eventually went out of business. So um, he lived in an apartment with his brother and like fans would seek him out and come to see him but he was very poor, you know, didn't have very much money toward the end. And I mean, like, kind of the really sad part about that is that he um he stopped letting fans visit him at home because people actually broke in to rob him and his brother wow during which time one of the robbers basically like sat on him and it, and uh, uh yeah horrible stuff and I mean at this point the guy was like in his 70s too I think he lived to be 79 from what I saw which is another
0: thing when I went into all of these people the performers from the freaks movie a lot of them lived to like be 70 or 80 years old
1: yeah they had long- Longish lives, you know, but yeah, it's it's complicated. We're talking about a variety of people here, too, with a variety of different troubles that they had to face. But yeah, Johnny Eck was, was definitely pretty special. And the one I tweeted today was a news story about him climbing up the to, to the Washington Monument, which is pretty cool it seemed like he had to kind of do stunts like that once in a while
0: and uh another person you mentioned to me the past few days is angelo rosito uh he is the dwarf who carries the goblet with champagne during the dinner scene you know one of us one of us gobble gobble
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah very iconic and he's the one that actually uh hits the hits hercules the strongman at the end with the knife He's yes. the first one. to get him. He whips a knife at him. So I guess it's implied that he's also a knife thrower. But uh, he had a long career in the movies. One of his uncredited spots, which often was the case with little people back then, was they you know appear in a movie but weren't in the credits. But it was in the uh, Laurel and Hardy movie *Babes in Toyland*. Uh, he plays the second pig in the little Three Little Pigs. I would implore anybody to go look that up because the Three Little Pigs in that movie are nightmare fuel. <laughs> <I didn't laughs>
0: But also, you—you you told me Angelo his last movie was in Beyond Thunderdome, Mad Max. I don't know if
1: that was the last one, but he was definitely older at that point. But yeah, he was in Mad Max Beyond Thunder, Thunderdome as the master, the little little guy that was like the master blaster, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is nuts. You think about that's the same guy that in 1932 was on top of that table with the with the big goblet of champagne, you know. <laughs>
0: But also something interesting, I found out, out. so uh, Harry and Daisy Earls, though those are not their real names, they were two of the quartet known as the Dolls. The Doll family. Doll doll family, yeah. Uh, They are the dwarves who look like children in the movie Freaks.
1: Yeah, they're set up to be lovers, but they're actually brother and sister in
0: real life. But also what I found funny is he's credited as Harry Earls, and he portrays Hans,
1: Hans. Yep.
0: But he himself is German, but he is credited with an American name because you know that's what <laughs> Hollywood well, did. Back I think then. that was
1: the name of their guardian that was originally bringing them around to sideshows. Mm-hmm. That's where the Earl's name came from, and they ditched it later because they weren't associated with them anymore.
0: I know uh, that they lived in Florida in a house that everybody called the doll house, and it had mid- miniature furniture.
1: Right. Yep. Especially made for them. Only one of them got married. The one that played Daisy. The one that played Frida.
0: Yes. And Daisy herself went on to become a huge star.
1: Yeah, and she got married, and then she ended up getting divorced and moving back in with her siblings. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of crazy that out of seven kids, four of them would be dwarves. But I guess maybe not. Is that statistically more probable if that's in the... I I don't know.
0: I cannot claim to know anything about dwarfism, and it is such a complicated topic, man.
1: It really is. There's uh, a
0: whole spectrum of dwarfism.
1: Yeah. I mean, one thing I did read about them specifically is Harry... I guess, is the one that gave Todd Browning a copy of the, book, the story uh, Spurs, yes. on which Freaks is based. Then it was his idea for Browning to make the movie. So little Hans in that movie is actually responsible for destroying <laughs> Todd Browning's career, I guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wanted to bring up, they also portrayed the munchkins in Wizard of Oz.
1: Yeah. And, and when they made the Wizard of Oz, I think they just kind of got every little person in Hollywood they could to be in it. <laughs>
0: Talk about exploitation and not just right. of little people, but also if you go into, you know, the main actress's life and what, what was happening. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a horror show in and of itself. Like the, the entire show business itself is an exploitative monstrosity.
0: Yeah, but wasn't Wizard of Oz also MGM? So it's only yes. MGM doing all this. <laughs>
1: yeah well you know (laughs) i wouldn't say that's necessarily the case i mean like you look at the movie nightmare alley have you ever seen that no oh man it kind of goes into like the making of a geek and the guy describes how you just like basically trick a guy into getting hooked on drugs and then you like throw him in a pit and make him bite the heads off chickens so that you can give him his fix i mean like i feel like a lot of showbiz is some kind of variation on that you know (laughs) like exploiting people keeping them hooked keeping them under your thumb what Whatever you have,
0: I, I, if I know the details now, but uh, Schlitzy before Freaks appeared in another movie portraying a geek, and the geek act is you know biting the head off a chicken or eating stuff that you shouldn't eat, right? But then the Schlitzy later on appeared in some kind of movie as mentally disabled criminal who is sent by the state to be sterilized. It's a eugenics movie. Ouch! Yeah.
1: No. Yeah, Schlitzy is such a tragic character. Oh, man.
0: Uh, I wanted to say also he's such a huge pop cultural icon. You already mentioned the Pinhead song by the Ramones, but also Zippy, the Pinhead comic. And he spawned so much merch, unfortunately, you know, he got no proceeds from that. So the people who were exploiting him.
1: But yeah, no, it very much is iconic and in a very kind of, I guess you would say, para-mainstream way, counter-cultural way, a way adjacent to to the, the mainstream, but kind of, you know, right there along with it. So
0: yeah. And another iconic person because of the Freaks movie, so there were two, Elizabeth Green, who was known as the Stork Woman, but she had a performance where she was, you know, going on stage as Cuckoo the Bird Girl outside of the movie. But then Mm -hmm. for some reason in the movie, they got this other performer, Minnie Woolsey, to portray Cuckoo the Bird Girl, even though they had the actual Cuckoo the Bird Girl in the movie. (laughs) Which is very weird, and it's essentially the girl who dances on the table during the dinner scene, dressed
1: in feathers. Right. Yeah, and she's she's fairly prominent in that scene because then somebody says, "Hey, cookie Hey, Cuckoo! Why don't you get down and give somebody else a chance?" <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow. <laughs>
1: because she stole uh, the act from
0: uh, the other actress and the thing is Minnie Woolsey, you know, the the one who ended up dancing in that scene but is not really the cuckoo bird girl ended up portraying cuckoo the bird girl after the movie in her own performance career.
1: Yeah, well prior to that they were calling her Minnie Haha and dressing her up in a very offensive Native American garb. Mm. Really bad stuff oh god so bad
0: yeah man i think th- this is one of the most fucked up episodes that we made
1: <laughs> yeah i mean like i don't know like i think a lot of this history is fascinating and stuff people should know and the, the stuff these people had to go through you know and it's so difficult to talk about i kind of understand now why you don't hear people talk about <laughs> about these subjects you know but is it really better to abandon all of it is kind of what i wonder right is it better to just you know pretend that these people didn't exist like i don't think so i think we need to kind of honor the memory of the performers that were there you know i think that's what we're doing i hope that's what we're doing oh man <laughs> we're not making fun of them that's for sure you know
0: if the listeners are thinking why is this episode so fucking awkward i mean <laughs> watch the
1: movie freaks watch the movie and then just try to have a conversation about it and realize you're being recorded and people are going to listen to it <laughs> i know not many people are going to listen to it because it's your show but
0: uh <laughs> <laughs> well thankfully i mean uh i i have to tell you i chatted with pucks today and he told me to tell you hi uh unfortunately i remember now on air so oh, hi pucks. from pucks and also like uh pucks uh appeared on my show for the first and probably only time because nobody listens to my show <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I'm sure Pucks is looking forward to hearing my sonorous voice.
0: Yes. Oh, man, I I, I should do an ASMR take again of your voice for this episode.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just take a couple edits of me talking
0: yes uh play around with the bass and treble
1: yeah i mean i don't think we're i don't think we sound too awkward but i think it should be fairly obvious that we're choosing our words very carefully here because i mean i see this a lot and i see it in the paranormal too where it's very easy at low-hanging fruit sort of thing to like in the paranormal make fun of the witnesses and their stories and make jokes about it i mean sometimes it's warranted and sometimes it's fine it's harmless but i mean I, sometimes it's it's mean spirited too you know but yeah but I, I see it
0: oftentimes as we love talking about these things and they are misfortunes uh, uh you know of the witnesses who went through traumatic experiences in the paranormal but we love talking about it and we make a circus out of it you know
1: we do make a circus out of it and we, and like i said broadly show business is the circus all of movies and tv and media that we it, it all comes back to a very circus oriented thing right yes um but you can expand that as many times as you want and really like the world is going to take you and everything that enters into it for its usefulness and exploit that you know so i, I don't know uh- <laughs> we can we can dissect it any way you want but
0: yeah I, I mean however I tried to dissect it like I think these people were you know born in unfortunate circumstances with un, uh, an unfortunate condition that forced them to try much harder to overcome their disabilities and some of right. them ended up you know doing things that no able-bodied person can do
1: yeah absolutely
0: but again the reason why they were forced to overcome their disabilities is in such a way and become you know these magnificent unique individuals is because of the fucked up way the world treats them
1: yeah yeah like, for like,
0: sure like if all of them received the help that they needed uh, and acceptance from society would they end up being such great performers
1: yeah one wonders or would they have been known about at all right you know? yeah um, is that a net positive or a net, ne- net negative for them? Who's to say? But we can't really know that about anyone or anything. But, but would we
0: have such exceptional performers in such a way as back then in modern times, where we treat people, mu- I mean, much better than before? Because they have m- much more opportunities today, so they do not have to excel as circus performers.
1: Right, right. I mean I would argue that if if yeah I mean I would argue that obviously yes people are have a more equitable existence now but given the time and the circumstances pretty pretty extraordinary what people were able to achieve through lack of a better option
0: yeah and that, that brings up so many questions i can ponder about just what life was like you know in the middle ages with the commoners and we know history is written by the winners so nobody was written writing about exceptional individuals you know from the commoner and peasant side of things who did not have the opportunities and had to excel to become more than they could be
1: well i don't know i mean the circus and um, performers and people like People, people with uh, various conditions would have been very uh, very well-known to the point of almost being folk heroes. I think you had the Irish giant. I think he was in the 1700s. And there was recently a thing where the British Museum had, like, had his skeleton on display, I think, mm-hmm. um, which was against against his wishes yeah Patrick Cotter O'Brien was 7 feet 7 inches tall and he died in 1783 his bones were on display at the London Museum
0: and that reminds me now of the Elephant Man and wasn't it Michael Jackson who owned his skeleton
1: yeah which is pretty fucked up (laughs) It is, but the the, the museum uh, is finally honoring his wishes in some way <laughs> uh, by by relinquishing his his bones, and I think I'm not actually sure what they're doing with them, but maybe returning them to Ireland and burying them properly, because that's what he wanted, you know. But we're talking about 1783, so not exactly the Middle Ages, but like the, this kind of thing goes back quite a long ways. That was why I also brought up while we were talking Matthias Buchinger, uh, who was a, a dwarf who also had he had no arms or legs really he had, he did but no real hands or feet but he was a very accomplished man and actually considered the greatest man of Germany, I think, was the title that was bestowed upon him. The great, the Greatest German Living, or the Little Man from Nuremberg, were the, the names applied to him. Two and a half feet tall. The stuff this guy came up with and the things he was capable of doing are just absolutely astounding. He basically designed a lot of magic tricks that magicians still do now, I, like um, some production tricks with cups on tables, um, various card tricks. He was also a marvellous worksman and a calligrapher so i mean again a man with no hands he was one of the greatest calligraphers of all time and noted for his ability with micrography which was drawing and writing very 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 tiny like you need a magnifying glass to even read what he wrote down
0: (laughs) and how how did he write it down if he had no hands
1: he was able to hold a pen
0: and with such precision that he can write micrography
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so to me, what I'm guessing is, and I, I've seen drawings of what his hands or, you know, what, what stood in place of hands looked like. And I, to me, it was almost like it was one finger, you know? So he didn't have hands really but uh, he had he he had some something that stood in as a digit that could grab things and hold on to things so mm-hmm. um, he could play the dulcimer the trumpet and the flute he invented instruments he was a great bowler but yeah I mean the magic tricks he invented were like what in, in stage magic is called production which is making things appear under an overturned bowl or cup uh, production tricks where you know you show you the cup is empty put it down upside down and then pick it up and there's like an orange in there
0: and what do you think would he have been as exceptional if he was born with limbs?
1: Yeah, like, again, re- really, who's to say, right? We don't know. I mean, certainly he was a polymath, and he had the he had the potential. But, yeah, I mean, it gets into all kinds of wild ideas that are probably super problematic. Like, yeah. <laughs> what was his mind compensating for his inadequacies physically?
0: Thankfully, it's near the end of the episode, and everybody tuned out just oh, as yeah. they ran out of the theater during the screening of yeah. Uh, Freaks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they didn't even stick around for Schlitzie, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, we're we're, get, we're reaching the end, and I saved the best for last as a reward for people here because the only limb he was said to p- possess <laughs> <laughs> was his uh, his very notable penis. The they they developed a term in the 1780s called Bookinger's boot, and uh, because apparently he was very popular with the ladies,
0: as he should be, as a very exceptional individual. <laughs>
1: His way of being able to do that would be like putting a boot on for most people.
0: <laughs> I mean, we talked about the, the Caterpillar man from Freaks, and he had five children.
1: Yeah, uh, Bookinger was married four times and had at least 14 children. Wow. from eight different women. So he wasn't even married to half the women that bore children from him. And those are only the ones we know about.
0: I remember uh, watching the Ripley's Believe It or Not TV show from the 90s. And there was a woman who was born without her legs. And she learned how to move around on a skateboard. Mm -hmm. And she ended up marrying a guy. Everybody was telling her her whole life that she could never have a child because of the deformity. And she ended up having a child.
1: Yep, well... Yeah, you know, life uh finds a way. Yeah. So but yeah, no, I I would recommend anybody look into Bookinger because I find him absolutely fascinating. And uh stage magic as we know it wouldn't exist without him. I'd also recommend looking up the magician Ricky J. Who's a, a noted uh, historian of all this stuff and was a major collector of magic artifacts and texts.
0: And funnily enough, he portrayed the amazing Malini in that X Files episode.
1: He absolutely did. Yep.
0: And he portrayed one of the uh, brothers in that episode who was pretending to be an amputee.
1: Yep. Yeah, he played a dual role in that episode. He actually has a pretty distinguished acting career. He was in a lot of uh, he was in a lot of movies that were based on plays and things like that. He was a fan. Friend of a very famous playwright whose name escapes me at the moment because I don't know oh. things like playwrights, I know about sideshow performers. <laughs> but uh um yeah if you look on youtube just look up ricky j on youtube because you can see some of his performances and when he performs these magic tricks he's telling you the history so he goes into and he talks about matthias bokinger you know having been married four times and having 14 children and he's like while i so far have been able to even unable to even acquire a wife (laughs) But yeah, he also had a book called uh, Learned Men and Fireproof Women, which has a good deal about booking her in it as well as a lot of other bizarre performers.
0: And for some reason you wanted to talk about pickface ladies for this episode as well.
1: Well, because that was in the same book, but I don't think we we really have time for that at this at this point.
0: Yeah, but essentially it would tie in with the whole deformity thing. I just wanted to mention when you talked about the Irish giant and the way the museum is, you know, wants to return his bones. That reminds me of shrunken heads and how they're now being returned back to the indigenous culture where they're from. But the thing is, the whole reason we have shrunken heads as a thing is because of the white man encouraging the indigenous culture to go headhunting and killing people to sell souvenirs. So it's really a spit in the face.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like the tradition of scalping with indigenous people in the Americas.
0: Yes. And and remember, if now all of those uh, scalps from bygone days, you're just returning them to the indigenous culture who would not have done that if it was not for the exploitation by the w- white man.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of food for thought there. Mm. Oh, very I
0: I want to do a whole episode just about shrunken heads and that's a whole other uh, very controversial uh, touchy subject. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah you seem to specialize in touchy subjects so you know yeah, uh, yeah.
0: thankfully <laughs> no, nobody stays tuned uh, that long to listen uh, but anyway until we start talking about shrunken heads uh ap strange where can people find you
1: Uh, Well, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, You don't have to look too hard. Um, You can find my blog, apstrange.com. And I'm going to try to be writing more, maybe publishing other places as well. So just uh, keep your eyes peeled. And uh, yeah, get in touch if you want to. And Twitter is probably the best way to do that.
0: And if you're comfortable enough, maybe you feel inspired to write I don't know, an article about <laughs> the topics we covered today.
1: <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, I mean, probably. It'd probably be better to put my thoughts together in uh, the form of writing than to just be here like, uh, well, see, the thing is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, no worries, man. I do uh, editing, uh, except when I want to portray something out of context for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. Because you're going to have to edit together a clip for uh, Pucks. That's just the best parts where where my voice sounds really good.
0: Uh, I, I'm just going to use all the uh, uh that I cut out and put them in a yeah, clip put show. Yeah, just put it
1: in a different file. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh man! Well, listeners, I hope this was not as uncomfortable for you as it was for us. I do recommend go watch the movie Freaks, just because it's a very important historical document. Now, it has been preserved uh, as a very relevant piece of, of film, and I don't know. I think it's a product of its time, and it's a window to the miraculous lives of these exceptional people who were invited to, you know, portray just themselves in, in the movie and remind. You that you know, uh, they're one of us, one of
1: us, one <laughs> of us.
0: We accept you, we accept you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Excellent.